Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. All right. So, yeah, welcome to Insight LA Long Beach um, Sunday Sit. Um, we're going to give a. Well, we're going to discuss and do something with the topic of silence today. Um, Every once in a while, I like to leave some extra time for some Q&A about practice. So I think today will be a good day for that. Um, For one, I could only talk for so long on silence. (laughs) I don't want to, I don't think we should talk that long on silence. Um, But also, too, everything ties back into this. So this could be a good time for practice questions and how do we move into into silence and then talking about silence in the way that we're going to talk about it um, sometimes needs some further unpacking so that might be nice too so silence I want to start off with um, instead of talking about silence what is noise what do I mean by maybe describe like what is noise and then we could talk what is the silence So silence in, in this way, we're not talking about outer silence. So this, this noise is not the noise of environment. So sometimes we talk about, oh, I'm going to go into meditation, so I should really close everything up and get into a suitable environment for my practice or go on retreat or go sit in nature or something. Which retreat in nature, are, by the way, is not exactly quiet, if you've <laughs> you figured that out. Sometimes nature is very loud, you know, environmentally. But we're not talking about that, that type of noise. So talking about the noise of, of story, uh, the noise of concept, um, the noise of belief, the noise of your spiritual practice or whatever that means to you. The noise of Buddhism, very loud. The noise of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, and the Seven Factors of Enlightenment, and the Ten Perfections, and the Five Hindrances. <laughs> it's like, you're, I'm just trying to meditate, and then you know, all this stuff's coming up, right? So that, that could be very noisy. The noise of the hindrances, the noise of, of doubt. The noise of, of attempting to, to get to silence, to get to somewhere, that noise, right? So, what are we without this noise? We start to move into silence, you know. Our only way to really get to silence, like away from the noise, in usually is for us to use that noise. This is how we think about going somewhere, right? We're going to take this belief, we're going to take this concept, and we're going to go from here, and we're going to go go to there, right? So we take this noise, and we're going to just you know use it to become silent. This is usually the, the, our way of thinking. So we take this idea and we, we add a little bit of willpower and energy and our body and our mind and then we mix it in with some attachment and aversion. Put, sprinkle in some anxiety in there <laughs> and go, you know. And we think this is the way that we're going to go about finding this, this quiet and this peace within ourselves. And so it's very contrived, like even, even a meditative state could be very contrived. So I could find peace, but it's in this way that I'm going to um, 
by, by a certain technique, I'm going to find a peace. So even, even good meditation, even solid, good concentration, shamatha practice, vipassana practice, there can be a state of, of contrived stability. Like I can move there in meditation, I'm good enough to calm the mind, I can sit on the cushion, I could do my circulations of breath, I could sit for a certain amount of time, and I could reach some state of tranquility in this way. But it's contrived, right? It's some sense of controlling the mind and into, submiss into submission, and then I could be at peace for a certain amount of time. And then I get up off the cushion, and I go away, and then it creeps back in, you know, the the attachments and the delusion and the busyness and then oh I did I go on retreat I totally forgot about retreat <laughs> I was so good in retreat where is retreat now you know where is my meditation now I got to go back into retreat then concept comes I better go back right I better go find it again I better go back to meditation And so there's that style of silence, but again, that's kind of using the noise. There's nothing wrong with that. This is this is you know part of the path to stabilize the mind in this way. But the insight of what we're trying to find is that this state where it's naturally arising, this non-contrived state, where we do not need to do this anymore. We don't need to find it. That it's just it's naturally arising. So the first thing that to arise, like what are we without this noise? When we start to creep in, when we're getting close to that state, what arises is usually confusion. You know, maybe some of you are f feeling that right now with my talk. <laughs> it's just confusion. And this is actually confusion's really, really good, really, really good. Confusion is, if we stay with it, confusion's everything. This is like the meaning behind Zen koans and, and some of these really pithy instructions in the non-dual schools, right? It's, it's really to con just to confuse the mind so it surrenders and gives up. Usually what happens, though, is that when we get confused, we, we leap back into the intellect and we try to figure it out. And we read more and we do this and do that. Like, oh, i got to figure more stuff out. So the way of like, to this silence, of course, there's, there's no way to it, but this awareness of being, if we could have an awareness of being and have that continuity of awareness of being throughout our confusion, then we could have insight in our confusion. So we, we just need to stay with that. This is very difficult. This is very, very counterintuitive. And we just, we just love that control part too, yeah? Confusion is also a state, if we stay with it, it's this absolute surrender, right? So this state of silence is very receptive. It's very feminine in that way, right? It's just, it's just receiving. So that the, there's a lot of the path is very male energy. It's this kind of pushing and sitting and effort and, and all this stuff. The end is, is very receptive and very feminine in that way. It's this openness. It's very similar. We might do this practice depending on time. Very similar to just a deep listening. Just a deep listening. I saw on a, I think it was a history channel or something like this, of, um, it was a documentary on the samurai, which is very cool. <laughs> and I loved it. They said that the samurai would practice awareness training and how they did it, which I think is a, this you know, very, uh, very similar to a lot of the, the non-dual practices in, in Tibetan Buddhism or in Buddhism and, and other schools, which they would sit in a forest, the samurai would sit in a forest, and somewhere far away, somebody would be dropping a needle <laughs> on a stone. And the samurai would attempt to hear the sound of a needle being dropped on a stone. 
and this this is very similar to like this true silence of being just that just this awareness so I'm going to read a little bit um, from Punja how many are familiar with his teachings Papaji also known as Papaji he's he's um He's a great Indian saint and sage, and he's really renowned. He's a non-dual teacher, but he's really renowned for encompassing almost every um, every every tradition. He's had teachers. He's had Dzogchen, you know, Tibetan teachers and Buddhist teachers and Hindu teachers. And his closest teacher was Ramana. Um, but yeah, very very amazing, very amazing being. So he's doing a little Q&A with a student here. So the student says, often you use Buddha as an example. As I understand, he attained enlightenment through meditation. But you seem to imply that meditation is limited. Can you speak about this? According to Buddhists, you must meditate. And he says, according to Buddhists, not according to Buddha. The man passed away, and then his students couldn't do as he did. They couldn't renounce like he did. So they have to do what is easier for them to do. They don't sit quiet. He sat quiet because he rejected everything, even meditation. He simply sat quiet. His freedom wasn't the result of any meditation. Buddhists often think about what Buddha was all about enlightenment. They said they actually don't think about what he's all about. Enlightenment. Most are so busy with their religious practices and past that they forget to sit quiet, as the Buddha did. They just talk about the religious, all the, the terms and all this stuff, concepts, all this stuff. So be wise and solve this question. Who am I? Then you will know. No teacher can tell you this. Even Buddha kept quiet when Ananda asked him, asked, asked him what he found under the Bodhi tree. This silence cannot be explained, but everywhere you go, you will find a play of words of the teacher, not the silence. Don't run away from the truth. Buddha didn't run away, but stayed. Unless he, unless he got it, he would not eat. This strong decision must be there. Don't run away. It is your problem. I can't say more. I like that last part. <laughs> It's your problem. <laughs> Teacher, what should I do? That's ah, your problem. <laughs> so this is the time of the talk when we speak of these things, that we speak of the, the paradox. So when you get to a certain part of the path, they talk about throwing away things like meditation and the very foundations of the practice. It's very important to understand that you need both. You definitely need you definitely need the foundations, and then you need to throw away. You, it's like you you learn everything you learn, so you can throw it away at the end. You know, and there's a there's a great teaching um, in Buddhism about the the Dharma is the boat. You know, you cross the lake of samsara. So the this, the the Dharma is the boat that allows you to to cross the lake of samsara. Then you need to get the hell out of the boat, right? You need to kick the boat away. And again, and, and you're not only kicking the boat away, you're kicking your, your, your ego, which is you know, not, non-existent. It's fabricated, right? You're kicking everything away. And this is very destabilizing. It's like once we get really close to home, once we get really close to home and we get really close to silence, we become very uncomfortable, right? I mean, look at it right here. Like when we get silent, I mean, look at, Look at everywhere. What do people do when there's nothing to do? They, they make shit up to do. Yeah, right? They don't like that. We don't like that. When there's nothing to do, we get very, we have, get some anxiety, right? When, when there's, there's peacefulness, tranquility, serenity, calm, silence, all these things that we say that we want, what happens? 
we get agitated and we try to make something up and we can do some meditation we could even make up I'm a really good meditator I'm doing so well right now this is amazing like my mind is so quiet it's phenomenal you know we do that I can't wait I'm going to do this again tomorrow oh yeah what am I doing tomorrow oh yeah yeah tomorrow I'm going to go to this tomorrow oh wait I'm meditating you know then come back oh I lost it oh I was told not to talk to myself like this okay back to the breath you know and then it goes on but this awareness of being this this being uncomfortable this is what we need to sit with this is what we need to surrender we need to surrender the noise there's no fabrication of the silence it's just surrendering the noise, right? It's, it's just that, that trust that I can do that. So, yeah. Just that, huh? Just that. <laughs> it's your problem. It's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's, let's do a little uh, listening meditation. I think that'd be good. the bell you can be aware of the sound of the bell and be aware of the sound of the bell until there's no more sound and as you become aware of become aware of listening itself continue just listening to whatever is arising Checking in, where is the listener? Where is the listener?
Hopefully most of us are confused. <laughs> so we can start the Q&A. So remember when we're doing the Q&A um, as a group that um, no crosstalk, so just stay with the pronoun I if you have something that you'd like to share. Um, if you want to add on to something, somebody, what they say, if it intrigues you to, or inspires you to say something, just stay with your own experience of it safe environment for everybody. So this could be related to what we talked about today. This also could be related to your own, you know, practice and your, um, you know, how you're relating to finding silence in your own practice. Or any practice questions, yeah. I'm noticing that um, when I, I'm focusing on my breath, um, I think my instinct has been for a long time to control my breath. And so when I I don't control my breath, I'll have a thought every once in a while will bubble up and be like, you're not controlling your breath, you're gonna you're not gonna get enough air. Like a fear comes mm-hmm. up. Um, so I'm just curious about that. Mm-hmm. You can control your breath or you cannot control your breath, but you're being aware of whatever you're doing. So as long as there's an awareness there, it doesn't matter if you're controlling your breath or not. So you could be doing a full controlled breath meditation, you know, that's even counting the inhalations and exhalations and pauses and all that stuff. And you're aware of that. That's cool. Now, of course, now more in this tradition, we, we teach don't need to do anything with the breath, just experience what is. It just kind of takes out a step. But that's just something else. You, know, you just be aware of whatever that is. If fear arises, something else to be aware of, right? Uh, just being non-judgmental, compassionate awareness of, of that arising and then coming back. Um, I would like to say that if something becomes chronic for everyone in the meditation, so at a certain point, if there's something that keeps coming up, it might be fear in a certain way or whatnot, we may need to turn towards that at some point and get a little bit of insight into that energy as long as it's safe for you to do so things like fear with there's lots of gradations of fear what is fear but it could be you know that you know, 10 fear two fear but at some point it might be something that wants to be looked at and investigated in a non-judgmental way so you at some point if that keeps coming up you could do you know this fear of breathing meditation what is that energy and again, we're using the, the refuge and the, and the skillfulness. skillfulness here is compassion and non-judgment. So we're meeting it with friendliness and we're meeting it with non-judgment. And this will allow us to hold it long enough and safely enough without getting you know, hooked into it so we could share with us whatever it needs to share. This is, when you say this is like form and formless meditation, the silence versus the following your breath or mantra. I would say that, you know, there's that, you know, the great heart sutra, um, form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Um, and as far as we're going from, as far as meditative object goes, this is definitely the, the silence part, you know, where this is awareness of being or without an object or shamatha without an object yes this is definitely formless yeah so a lot of times we go from very concrete objects of meditation into more subtle objects and then the most subtle of all objects is just awareness of awareness itself yeah it's very formless are you always am i always trying to move to formless if you're trying to move to formless You'll never get to formless. <laughs> I know what you're saying, though. Um, you just fell right into that one. So. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter. Like all, all of the meditations will drop off into formless. It doesn't matter what object that we start with. You could stare at a table, and the the table is formless. And at some point, it'll represent itself as such.
Yeah. Um, I, over the last few years, I didn't have a lot of chance to meditate. I, I had chance, I, but I, I did not meditate. Yeah. I've gotten out of practice, and I'm finding it very, very difficult to to actually resist, you know, to, to accept the uh, resistance and the impatience and all the things that come up when I meditate. And, uh, just any suggestions for a person who's trying to come back to it after a long time? Mm. Well, I, you know, many in this room could, could um, talk about the, the four thoughts that turn the mind towards Dharma because I just love it so much. So I think that when it comes to practice in general, especially coming back to it when we don't have that momentum, because when we have the momentum, it becomes easier and easier. It's like the gym, you know, once you start working out, you like in the habit and you start to feel the results. And so the, the best motivation for practice is practice, right? And then if we can't get to the cushion, we have to, to contemplate. And this is, these are four thoughts, and you can contemplate other things, but basically you're contemplating, why am I doing it? You know? So if we have a, a strong um, sense of why we're doing this, then that'll propel us to, to meditate more. Right? So if we really believe in the suffering less part, but we could contemplate how, how lucky we are to be able to practice, like this is extremely precious and amazing, and read biographies of people that have practiced for a long time and overcome suffering and you know and all that. That's very inspiring. You could read about the science behind behind meditation, which is super incredible these days. Of all the benefits, if we need that left and right brain to be on board, you know, it makes you look younger. You know, I'm six, I'm 65. <laughs> um, but honestly, like whatever works, you know what I mean? Like if, if that's what it is, the anti-aging properties, if it's whatever it might be. And then the traditional ones of contemplating how rare and precious the opportunity is that even if life is good, it's impermanent, right? So, and we have this precious opportunity to practice. And so we contemplate the impermanence of it. You know, contemplate how good it feels to do good things that feel good. It's karma, action. And then maybe the biggest of all contemplation of dukkha which is unsatisfactoriness that there's nothing reliable and sustainable outside of ourselves you know these these four contemplations are so incredible to do every single day because that carrot of life will always get us like i want to practice but i really should do da 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 that is going to be gone tomorrow even if it's if it's short-term happiness it'll be gone tomorrow and we're left again in the cycle of attachment and aversion you know could you repeat the key four there to summarize the four yeah words? precious human life and I, it's, it's like a gratitude practice precious human life impermanence karma and dukkha Permanence itself is just so amazing. Lama Zopa would have us wake up every day and say something so inspirational. He would say, Alive people are dying before dying people every day. That was his motivation. <laughs> I lived right next door to the hospice at Land of Medicine Buddha for two years. Same staircase, hospice on one side. So I would look at a dying person. They'd always be out on the deck and just get some sunshine and stuff. And then so I'd be a dying person in my cabin every day. So it was just like so motivating to practice. And he would say that the live people are dying before dying people, which meant I saw the dying person. And he was saying that you could die today. And they'll make it through the day, but you might die today. So what are you going to do? Someone's going to get a car accident or some, something's going to happen. And they're not going to make it. It's very inspiring. <laughs> but it really is, you know, it really is. It's just like, how do I, what do I want to do with this? What do I want to do with this day? So, um, several times, just kind of to clarify some terms, not necessarily related to silence, that you use several times non-dual and non-dual practice. Could you speak about that for a second, please? Yeah, the, the, uh, the term non-dual is... Um, the opposite of that would be duality, which is this good and bad subject and object reality that we live in. 
small, tall, all of these things. So this relative reality is just that it's relative to something else, right? And, and there's separateness everywhere you look. So the easiest way to, to talk about this is in quantum physics. So quantum physics would say everything's energy, right? But we're like, well, wait, hold on. Like it's just one big mass of energy, but, but it looks like different things. So ultimate truth, non-dual, non-duality is everything just is. You could say oneness, or Mingar Rinpoche likes to say it's not one, but it's not two. <laughs> it just isness. It just is. And then duality is in relative truth. This um, is that there's there's good and bad, and we have to be aware of both. We're stuck in relative reality, and so we have no ultimate truth that everything is okay as it is. So this is the wisdom part. But if we go too far in that direction without the relative reality, which is rooted in compassion then we go into indifference and nihilism, and that's very dangerous. So this is why those non-dual schools and non-dual teaching are usually taught at the end after we amass a large bank account of love and compassion. If you ever feel yourself saying, ah, letting everything in, letting everything out, I don't care about anything. <laughs> it's a good time to ramp up your loving kindness practice. <laughs> Move into compassion, because then we're moving too far into, into that non-dual state of being. When you start hearing these things like throwing out meditation, throwing out like don't meditate and all this stuff, it becomes destabilizing. Like, what? What do you mean don't meditate? Da, da, da. It's Yeah, we need that. We also need to know that everything is perfect as it is. You know, as Suzuki Roshi would say, you're perfect just as you are and you have work to do. <laughs> yeah. Or he'd also say that nothing is right and nothing is wrong. But what is right is right, and what is wrong is wrong. <laughs> Another good one for Suzuki Roshi. I just, they asked Suzuki Roshi one time, how much ego should I have? You know, I need some ego to, to, to live in this and that. He said, just enough not to walk in front of a bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I just wanted to speak a little bit about starting my practice. I'm, I'm kind of in a different place now, but I, this is what I learned. Um, I, too, uh, like the gentleman was speaking, talked to myself a lot about, gee, you really should meditate. It's really important. And I would have a hard time getting there. But when I would get there and, you know, kind of muscle my way through, it wasn't the practice of meditating, it was what I noticed in life when I was easier with myself. And that started to lift. And I had the idea that maybe that's helping. So it was a gap for me. But that's what said, this is the way. Mm -hmm. Thank you. is to just stay with it and just be there and notice is and I just um, would like to ask if I'm bypassing anything by doing that or is that um, folding into um, the Four Noble Truths with that. Am I on the right track or am I missing something? Yeah, I mean, the way, this is a good point about the spiritual bypassing or even bypassing also too in meditation. So um, Diana, I think, is, is alluding to a couple things there. For one, you know, resting, like dropping off the meditation at the end when I like to say when the meditation begins to meditate you, right? So there's no more technique anymore. There's just resting in presence. Um, and also, there could be 
the, the second piece of that is when we practice non-grasping mind, which is you know releasing whatever's arising and coming back to an object for meditative stability, are we bypassing those things that we really need to look at? You know, are we just saying, oh, you know, not today, you know, this um, guilt and shame, or, you know, do we, are we not taking responsibility and, and, and things like this? Um, there's a lot of wisdom and discernment that we need to really be authentically um, uh, just honest, uh, very honest with ourselves. And also, like in, in Tibetan, the, the shame, for example, is, is actually looked at as a positive. So we're actually, we actually want to look at this stuff. It's not an aversion where we're just like, you know, if, you need to th- if you're thinking about getting toothpaste at the, you know, later and that comes up in meditation, that's something you could just like, oh, whatever, go back. Yeah. But if there's actually something of substance, we're taught, part of the insight practice, we're taught to investigate that. So part of the practice is not always just coming back to an object paying attention to the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally, of what is arising in that moment, a lot of times are these heavy emotions and, and um, uh, triggered my uh, uh, memories or whatnot that are there to be investigated, not so, intellect- so much intellectually, but experientially, they become the meditation and unravel themselves. And what I, just from my own experience, is that we don't need to worry about, because I get this sometimes, people say, well, nothing's coming up in meditation, like, am I bypassing or something? Like, I'm just really at ease. It'll, it'll show you. <laughs> like, it'll, it'll come, like, not to worry. And, and that if we are in that state of openness and awareness, then just be with beingness. Just be with it. Um, yeah, just, just that. And things do come up, <laughs> or, or you know, they do arise in the stillness to look at or to be with. Yeah. So, and when and when that comes, that the silence never ends. Like that which is looking at that is the same silence which is being with silence. So that's another thing is that we're not diving into the energy of what's arising, right? That which is looking is the same. So we asked, you know, where is the listener, right? Where is a listener? What is a listener? That which is looking at a strong emotion is not the strong emotion, right? So there's still, we're still anchored into, into silence and, and equanimity while we're looking at what is arising within awareness and equanimity. Yeah, so it's not like we're shifting. We're just exploring. And it's that stability in that awareness, this non-judgmental awareness, that allows us not to get hooked in that and so now we could, now we could watch it as it transforms itself back into awareness, right? Everything comes, abides, and disappears back into they call the Dharma Kaya, the Truth Kaya, right? Everything arises, appears, nowhere, <laughs> arises from nowhere, appears nowhere, appears to nobody, <laughs> and then that nobody and that nothing that originally arose go back into nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Nothing ever happens. That was the 16th Karmapa's final words. <laughs> Which was funny, because I knew we got to go to Rekirama, but I. Is it in here? Oh, yeah. So the 16th Karmapa, his last words were, Nothing ever happened. And then I saw this this morning. Papaji, nothing ever existed is the ultimate truth. Just to leave you confused. Just to leave you more confused. <laughs> Did you have something, Rick? Unpacking what is looking at something, a strong emotion, what what does it involve? What are some of the things that you've worked with or that have been effective? Of of what the effective the looking to process the looking process? Yeah. Um, the looking process is just maintaining the non-judgment, right? Because you have to, to, to purely look, you need to look in a way that's experiential and not conceptual, or you're making something else to look at in the future, mm-hmm. right? So you, we don't want to add to that. So the skillfulness of looking is is just that you're just looking as it as it is, not imputing anything on top of as it is. 
and it, and 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 to further that and the ability to relax the mind in that way, some love, like a, a a tone of loving kindness is is really nice as well. Yeah. And what do you do with what you find? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. This is the big trick. This is the great non-doing. Really, this is it, right? Because even even the desire to do something with it is wrong view. Wrong view is that we're going to manipulate it and, and it's going to fix itself. So this is like the very basic wrong view. Right view is everything's settled and it's its natural state. Everything's okay as it is. Everything is perfect as it is. We have to do nothing. We have created every single obscuration and every bit of ignorance ourselves. We've created it. There's no ego. We have dug a ditch or we, we think we're digging ourselves out of a ditch and then we look, there's no ditch. We've never been in a ditch. There's nothing to get out of. Right? So, and by looking at this, it unravels itself. It settles itself. Right? And we watch it. We watch it. Yeah, so we don't need to add anything to it. I have uh, read that one particular technique when strong emotion does arise, at least in my practice, is to focus on the, the sensory feelings, like the, the bodily feelings, and, and like the, the pain in my gut or like the tension in my shoulders. But how much, I wonder how much I can rely on that, and is there a way to pass that? Because what you just said was focusing on the, not doing anything about it, right? Mm -hmm. So is that like a stepping stone, or? Well, you're not doing anything about it by looking. Like what you're doing is nothing. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you're just looking. I mean, you're talking about body emotions. There's, there's you know, the emotions. There's only three things inside: thoughts, emotions, and body sensations. Right. Right. And the the body, an emotion manifests as kind of a body sensation, but then we're looking at more of the causation of that, mm -hmm. of whatever it is. Like, you could run up a flight of stairs, and your heart's racing. Right. That's body sensation. You could go give a public talk and your heart is racing, that's more an emotion, right, or anxiety, right? But what you're talking about there is just, uh, just watching. So, so the way to, to go about it, instead of going into an aversion, we're turning into it, and you're just watching it, and you're watching the impermanence of it, and you're getting a lot of insight there, that look at it go. For one, you're getting the reality of this is what's happening, and watching the impermanence of it, so we're getting insight there, that there's nothing wrong. Heart racing is like this. Pit and stomach is like this. When I have anxiety, my, my ears get hot. Ears get hot like this. Nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Or yeah, yeah. yeah. I, because I think we're we're talking about the same thing. This non-doing. You're just looking. Yeah, yeah. So when I answered that question, I didn't I didn't say not to look. Because this is awareness of being, and that's your being in that moment. So we just stay with this awareness of being as it is. And our, our being, what's experienced within this being is going to shift from moment to moment. Mm -hmm. So one thing you've talked about before is hooks. And when, mm -hmm. the, when something is, we attach, um, but using that metaphor of a hook. And I'm just wondering if you can go over that because I remember that that really stuck with me but just talking about how those hopes work and how to kind of detach from those well when I talk about just getting hooked it's just I mean there's it's just thoughts emotions and body sensations those are the hooks yeah, yeah. but how we release them is by practice yeah so we practice in meditation we practice noticing them making up that we've noticed them and then coming back to an object and every time we do that we flex the muscle of non-grasping mind right and the longer that we hold on to things the harder it is to practice that because that has a really firm grip and it's like I say how much does a thought weigh how much does a thought weigh right like nothing but then how much does it feel like it weighs as much, and then who gives it the weight? It's really good insight, right? Who gives it the weight? Of, who gives the thought the weight? We do. We do. Yeah. So we could take it away. But so so that's the hook. 
the hook is that we feed the thoughts and we fatten them up and we get them heavy. And then we wonder why we feel uh, like this, yeah. So what we can do in meditation eventually is that through self-awareness, we could, aware, we could be aware of a thought and it's just right upon arising. Even if it's a heavy thought, right? it comes up and we're like, hello thought, oh, I'm gra- oh I love, oh, I'm going to set you down. Right? And now the thought's not, not so heavy, right? Because if I grab this and I set it down, it's not so bad. But if I grab this and I held on to it for 10 minutes, two hours, 10 years, <laughs> right? How many of you? Yeah, so it becomes very heavy. So just returning and staying, returning and staying. There's the time I was in the metro in Paris, and I was in between stations, and it was really hot, really hot, and really crowded, and the freaking thing stopped. Mm. And I had a bit of a panic attack, you know? mm. and I did this technique of just being with that person with it, and it freaking didn't work. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then I tried like talking to my neighbor and that didn't really work either. Mm-hmm. The only thing that worked was really doing some mantra and doing some self-coaching. Mm-hmm. Telling myself I could get through it, I could get through mm-hmm. it. It's kind of, I'm going to call it a Western mantra. Mm-hmm. We can get through this. Yeah. We can get through this. <laughs> you know, but I had to, I couldn't stick with the feeling because the feeling was, yeah, all my alarm bells are going. <laughs> so Heavy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, I'm appreciating having different types of practice, you know, and I found an antidote to that particularly overwhelming mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, you know, tough stuff happens when I'm sitting, you know, and it seems like what you were talking about, the wisdom, the uh, discernment, is really uh, an important thing for me to remember because, like, I drank too much green tea this morning and... You know, I'm a little nervous, and I had to, at one point, find an antidote for that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, I tried being with the nervousness, but I thought, mm, it's not really working. Mm-hmm. So then I went to listening to sound, there were some really sweet bells on, mm-hmm. and that seemed to help a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good one, and and I think that being that mindfulness has been you know took off so much in the West, it's like that's all of Buddhism, you know, or you know all of all the techniques. Bless you. Um, you know, Buddha had a text. It's a very hard name of the actual traditional name of the text, but um, it's how to d- deal with very stubble, stubborn and discursive thinking. And there's five methods that he went over, um, and, and I think that we could apply this to different grades of of difficult thoughts you know one of them is mindfulness the first one is thinking of the opposite so when something becomes very stubborn you think of 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 the opposite i love this one especially with anxiety because such a liar and anxiety is always going into the future like it should be like this and i always say well it could be the opposite too right you know so we could think of the opposite um the other the other one is is this wise it's another really good one for anxiety because you know when we're is this wise to think like this is this is it good for me is it is it is it wise the third one is distraction and and i like to say honor your coping mechanisms do netflix meditation do ice cream meditation go for a walk call a friend like honor your coping mechanisms if something's too heavy and you can't be with it just as it is because there are sensations that just crush us, right? It's that they snuff out of our flame of awareness. They're a big log, and we're, yeah, we're not sages. We just can't take all of that in. So distraction. Then the fourth one is mindfulness. You could try that, right? The fifth one, who knows the fifth one? This is my favorite one. Love this one, huh? Knock it off. <laughs> no, this one, the, the actual text is that you, you rip the thought out like, like removing the tooth from a jawbone. But it's, it's very, very, it's actually like this practice where you're, you're summoning up the great I am, your, your God or goddessness, your, your, um, your infiniteness, and you're just saying no. Nope. 
had enough. It's the anti-mindfulness. It's like, <laughs> it's the total opposite. You know, it's no, you're not welcome here. It's almost like a psychic self-defense or something. It's almost like, no, hell no, you're not now. No, you're not allowed here, right? There's that, and there's a time for that. You time to kind of people. <laughs> yeah, with people. Like you can decide, like, no, it's time for you to leave. It's right, boundaries, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So self-boundaries? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think meeting it from and from a place, no matter what, especially with people, doing that with compassion, very helpful. And then also with ourselves, we're not doing that out of fear. You know, we're still doing that out of compassion, out of a rootedness and a faith that that we're fine. Like whatever's in our space, it still can't harm us, but we're going to push it out anyway. You know, just this inner faith of we're moving from a sense of love and compassion and not not a fearful place. You know, so it's not like a war. You know, it's just it's just a no. <laughs> okay, maybe one more. I've been yeah I've been working on um, dealing with the emotions that come up in like actual situations when I get the anxiety and the big thing that's been helping me is is, uh, trying to just let them yeah let them just be there and allow them to exist like you know the emotions that you think of is like those are the bad emotions to have you know the yeah the anger fear so just letting them exist and then when you're saying to go back to an object, would it just be like the breath? Or... It could be. Are you asking me what object to go back to? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It could It could be the breath, which is the sensations of the breath moving through the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could be awareness. Like once you're, you could just stay with awareing. Like you're aware of those emotions, and then you could watch the emotions come, go, leave. Look at you're still here. <laughs> I'm still here. I'm fine. It's funny how certain emotions they're so emphasized as being more of a big deal than other emotions when they're all just emotions. And they're not even that. Yeah. They don't exist. <laughs> What's an emotion? Where is it at? Yeah. I think it's interesting the conceptual overlay that we have on you know, we have this idea of fear, but we don't really break that down. I always think it's interesting to think that I don't even know if my fear is your fear. Like, when you say you're scared, how do we know if we're feeling the same thing? Like, I, I, that, that transfer process maybe happens as a kid where maybe the parent says, honey, you must be scared. And she's like, oh, I am? Like, <laughs> like, but it's interesting for us to self-investigate what that means, and especially what does that mean in this moment? Because that could be, like, the scaredest you've ever been. Or you could be just slightly agitated or something, right? But it's really good to investigate, and that's part of this process, is instead of putting that label on, I'm scared or fear or whatever it might be, is just what's here right now. And that'll give us a better idea of if we can be with what is right now. Because if we, if we, we maybe can't be with fear, but we could be with, oh, that sensation in the body here or that here. All right. We talked a lot, so let's sit for a little bit before we end our time together. We talked about this aware of being. So awareness, the part of you that knows that you're here. So you can listen to this. You're listening to the bell, the part of you that is awake. Aware of that. It's awareness, awareness of your body sensations. You notice that you could lose this awareness by getting lost in thought very quickly. You could lose what I'm saying right now very quickly. So maintaining this awareness 
but also notice awareness is effortless. You could leave awareness, but awareness never leaves you. Every time you turn back inward, awareness is there waiting for you. Notice experientially that awareness is neutral. It's already at ease. You would have to add a thought to awareness for it to be anything but that. Just resting here for a few moments on your own, being aware of awareness. so much for coming. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.